Well, hey, good morning. Uh, man, Christmas is right here. It, it's on us. It is coming. And I know that you're probably busy right now getting the last minute Christmas gifts uh, or maybe getting them wrapped or whatever. Uh, but I got to be honest, um, gift giving at Christmas has always been kind of a tricky business for me. Uh, and, and here's what I mean, right? When you have family and when you have friends, uh, the idea of gift giving is kind of loaded in some ways, right? Like, um, do you try to keep it even when you give somebody a gift, right? Like, hey, I think this is what they're going to get me. Or uh, maybe you, you have an agreement where you say, we're, we're only going to spend so many dollars. Or, you know, you, you're trying to keep it even so nobody out gives somebody else. Or maybe you're the kind of person, and, and this is what I tend to do sometimes, where you just swing for the fence and like one-up them, right? Like, oh, I know I got you a great gift. Thank you for the coffee mug. But my gift to you was phenomenal. Or uh, I've been around a couple people who said, well, just because they get me one is no reason I have to get them one, and I'll just say thank you. And so uh, I don't know where you fall on that spectrum. I think everybody is more one of the first two, hopefully not too many of the last. Uh, but really, it is a it is a tricky balancing act at Christmas, right? Trying to figure out what's an appropriate gift for that person. Do we keep it even? Do we one-up them? Uh, really, I think that it boils down to the tension is when we give gifts to family, friends, trying to keep that even, are we really giving out obligation or are we giving out of love? Are we giving that gift because it's something that we are expected to do, we should do, it's Christmas, if they're going to get something for me, I've got to get something for them, or do you just give the gift because you want to? Well, today as we wind down this Christmas series, Far As The Curse Is Found, we're going to go back to Galatians 3, and we're going to look at the gift that Jesus gave to us, motivated by his love for us. And so if you've got your Bibles this morning, go ahead and go to Galatians 3. Um, and we're going to start there in Galatians 3, where we've already been in this series, really by looking at the problem that Paul brings up. And that problem is namely that we are all under a curse. That's what he calls it, a curse. It's the same curse uh, that we sing about in the Christmas carol, Joy to the World. Um, and this idea of the curse, it really comes from the idea that we have all broken God's perfect law, right? And so because we have broken God's perfect law, we are under his curse. We have all sinned against him. And so now we live under his wrath and under his judgment. Our disobedience has placed us squarely under that curse. So we, we talked about that in the first week of the series, but I want to pause here um, to just make sure we understand why Paul was even telling the Galatians this in the first place, right? Like, why bring up this idea of a curse? And so let's kind of take ourselves back and put ourselves in that context that Paul was writing this letter to, to a bunch of churches in a region called Galatia. You see, there were a bunch of people, a group of people who had come in after Paul planted these churches, and these people were called Judaizers. Well, they came to the Galatian churches, and they were teaching these new Galatian Christians that in order to be in right standing with God, that they had to not only 
believe in Jesus. Yeah, you had to believe in Jesus, but you didn't only believe in Jesus. You also had to continue to keep the Old Testament law. And Paul refers in Galatians specifically to the act of circumcision, which I heard a pastor say one time, and I will never forget it till the day I die, that if that was required for new members classes in churches today, there would be a whole lot less guys that sign up, right? Like this is, this is the idea that they were saying, no, it's not just that you believe in Jesus. If you want to be in right standing with God, you've got to do all of these things that were told in the Old Testament. Now, I want to be clear. That's a wrong belief system. Uh, Jesus plus anything is wrong. Jesus plus nothing is everything. So this wrong belief, though, um, came from the Judaizers' attempts to continue to live under a covenant that God had established with Israel through Moses. All right, so maybe there's something going on there that we need to unpack. So what is a covenant? Because that's not language we use a lot. Uh, A covenant is basically an agreement between two parties that put boundaries and expectations on a relationship. Uh, Similar to a contract, it's more binding. It's something that both parties agreed to. And, And back in ancient times, there would be ceremonies that would accompany the joining together in covenant of two parties. And, and so here, uh, God enters into a covenant with Israel through Moses that it is really hey, the, the boundaries are if you keep my commandments, Israel, I will bless you. If you don't keep my commandments, if you disobey, I'm going to curse you. And that was the essence of the Mosaic Covenant. We see that uh, in the Old Testament. It's, it's typified really in Deuteronomy chapter 28. If you keep my commandments, you'll be blessed. If you do not keep my commandments, you will be cursed. It was a covenant defined by obedience and consequences. And so with that framework of the Mosaic Covenant, the framework of obedience and consequences, the Judaizers go and begin to teach that to these young Galatian Christians. They say, if, if you trust in Jesus and keep the obligations of the Mosaic Covenant, then you will be right with God. And so that's why Paul tells them in Galatians chapter 3.10, if you have your Bible, he says, For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse, because it's written, everyone who does not do everything written in the book of the law is cursed. And so what Paul is telling them, like, look, okay, if you want to keep the law, if you want to live under the Mosaic covenant, you're going to be in trouble. Because even if keeping that Mosaic covenant would make them right with God, they didn't have the ability to do it. These Galatian Christians didn't have it in themselves to keep the covenant. Any failure to keep the law perfectly would break that covenant and therefore bring the curse. That's what Paul's telling them in Galatians chapter 3, verse 10. You can't keep the law perfectly. That's why you're cursed. And so that's why last week... We saw Paul go on to tell them the good news that the price to keep the covenant and to free them from the curse had been paid in full by Jesus. He said this in Galatians chapter 3.13. We read this last week. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us because it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. You see, Paul tells them, 
that Jesus did what they could never do. The Galatians had no hope of keeping the covenant, and yet Jesus perfectly kept God's law. He lived a sinless life. He never disobeyed his father at all. He fulfilled the covenant. And yet, even though Jesus never sinned, even though he was never disobedient to his father, he still, out of love, took our curse on himself in order that he might bring freedom to us who were under it. And that's what he said. He became a curse for us. That's how he redeemed us from the curse. That's the beauty of the cross. Jesus in our place bearing our sins. But why? What's the ultimate purpose of that? Is it just an example? Is it just so that we would be self-sacrificial? Why did Jesus do that? Why would he become a curse for us? What is the point of freeing us from the curse? The point is that we might be free from the Mosaic covenant and that Jesus might establish a new covenant through his very blood. That's the cross. The problem was the curse. The price was Jesus uh, in our place on the cross. Why did he do it? To break the weight of the Mosaic covenant's hold on us and establish a new covenant in his blood. That's what he goes on to say in the very next verse, Galatians chapter 3, verse 14. Read it. He says, the purpose for this, that he freed us from the curse by becoming a curse, the purpose was that the blessing of Abraham would come to the Gentiles by Christ Jesus so that we could receive the promised spirit through faith. So here, um, in talking about Abraham, who, who was the father of the Jewish nation, right? Paul brings up something that I think they would have understood, but we today may not fully understand, right? Um, put it like this. The Mosaic Covenant was not the first covenant that God established with the nation of Israel. You see, long before Moses, God made a covenant with Abraham. In Genesis chapter 12, uh, we see God come to Abraham and he makes him a promise. And this is what the promise is in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. The Lord said to Abram, go from your land, your relatives, and your father's house to a land I will show you. And here's what he says. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse anyone who treats you with contempt and all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. So in Genesis chapter 12, God comes to Abram, who would be Abraham, and he makes this promise, the promise to bless him and more importantly, to bless all the peoples of earth through him. And so then we fast forward a couple chapters to Genesis chapter 15, and God seals this promise with a covenant. I mean, this covenant had the official ceremony and everything. Remember I told you back in ancient times, they would seal covenants with ceremony, and that's what happened. God comes to Abram, and he says, Abram, here's what you're going to do. We're going to go into a covenant together. I want you to take these animals as a sacrifice. I want you to spread them apart, and we're going to pass through them, saying that if we break this covenant, may what happened to these animals happen to me. That, that was the point. But there was one problem. You see, God is God, and Abraham is man. God is holy, and Abraham was sinful. 
And so Abraham inherently, we've already talked about this, could not keep his end of the covenant. So he could not make the covenant. And so here's what's really cool. In Genesis chapter 15, God seals the covenant with Abraham, sinful and imperfect, by putting Abraham to sleep and God himself taking Abraham's part in the ceremony. God took Abraham's part in the ceremony in his place and then we read this. What did Abraham do? In verse, uh, Genesis chapter 15, verse 6, we reread this. Abram believed the Lord, and God credited it to him as righteousness. So you see, Abraham, because he was inherently sinful, was not able to fully enter into the covenant on the basis of his own merit. But yet, he believed the Lord, and he believed the Lord's promise, and God counted that belief. He considered that belief, that faith, as Abraham's part of the covenant. Abraham's faith was credited or considered righteousness. Why is that so important? Because Paul reminds the Galatians here of the Abrahamic covenant and the fact that it was based on faith, not obedience. And he tells them, if you skip down to verses 17 and 18, Paul says, my point is this, the law which came 430 years later, the Mosaic covenant which came 430 years later, does not invalidate the covenant previously established by God and thus cancel the promise. For if the inheritance is based on the law, it is no longer based on the promise, but God has graciously given it to Abraham through the promise. So what he's saying is this, the Mosaic covenant was never meant to replace the Abrahamic covenant. Obedience was never meant to replace faith. And that's what Paul says. The promise of inheritance of that blessing we receive from the Lord doesn't come through the obedience of Moses's covenant. It comes through the faith of Abraham's covenant. But then the question is, how do we reconcile these two? Are, are, is God like just have two different standards? What's going on here? Well, Paul tells us. Again, skip down just a couple verses in Galatians 3 to verse 21. This is what Paul writes. He says, Is the law therefore contrary to God's promises? Absolutely not. For if the law had been granted with the ability to give life, then righteousness would certainly be on the basis of the law. But Scripture imprisoned everything under sin's power so that the promise might be given on the basis of faith in Jesus Christ to those who believe. Before this faith came, we were confined under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith was revealed. The law then was our guardian until Christ so that we could be justified by faith. But since that faith has come, and we are no longer under a guardian, for through faith you are all sons of God in Christ Jesus. So really, just, just to sum it up, what Paul is telling us here is that both the Abrahamic covenant and the Mosaic covenant were meant to prepare us for and point us to Jesus, who is the fulfillment of both. Jesus is the one who perfectly kept the Mosaic Covenant. And he is the one when whom we put our faith in gives us the blessing of the Abrahamic Covenant. The Galatians, Paul was telling them, you're not made right with God because of your heritage or your obedience. 
The only way that you're made right with God is through faith in the person and work of Jesus alone. And the truth is, we need to remind ourselves of that as well. You know, because we're all like the Galatians. When we think that our keeping of the law, our obedience, our good behavior is what's going to make God happy with us. We're like the Galatians when we think that just because we messed up and, and sinned that God's mad with us and now he's going to punish us. You see, just like the Galatians, we are no longer under that Mosaic covenant where if you do good things, you'll be blessed. If you do bad things, you're cursed. We're not under that covenant. Jesus fulfilled that covenant. But now we are under a new and better covenant that has been inaugurated by Jesus himself. If you got a little bit of time today, go read 1 John. In 1 John, we learn all about this new covenant and new command. Now, does that mean since Jesus fulfilled the Mosaic covenant that our obedience, the, the way we live, the things we do, that they don't matter anymore. Well, absolutely not. But it does mean that what we do should be motivated by our love for Jesus more than our obligation to him. Jesus himself says in John chapter 14, verse 15, he said, if you love me, you will keep my commands. So here's the question. Are we keeping his commands because we love him or because we're still living under the Mosaic covenant and we feel obligated to so that he won't get mad at us? Remember that whole tricky business of gift giving? Am I doing this because I should, because I have to, because I want to keep things even? Or am I doing this motivated out of love? Am I trying to be a good person so that God will be happy with me and maybe I'll get to heaven when I die? Or am I doing these good things because I love Jesus and want to please him in any way that I can? Do we do it because we are supposed to or because we want to, obligation or love? The truth is that's a tricky line in the heart of every believer. So how do we know which side of that line we're on? Right? If if all we can do is see the good works in our lives, but we're not sure where our motivation is, obligation or love, how do we really know? Well, Paul tells us. Skip down just a few more verses that takes us into Galatians chapter 4, and look at what Paul writes starting in verse 4. He says, When the time came to completion, God sent his son. Christmas. God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our heart, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then God has made you an heir. You see, what Paul is saying is the sure sign that we have been made sons and daughters of God is that he has sent his spirit into our hearts. And the spirit, when he comes, produces in us not just new behaviors, but he produces in us new affection, new affection for God that cries out with an intimate Abba Father. And I think that's such a change 
for most people in our part of the world because where we live, a lot of the people I know have a deep respect for God, but that deep respect for God isn't the same as a genuine love for God that's been birthed by the Spirit in our heart. It's not a covenant of love. It's a covenant of obligation. I respect God. I want to stay on his good side. I'm going to try and stay away from the things that are really, really bad. I hope if I do good things and come to church and put some money in the offering box, he'll bless me and hope he doesn't get too mad when I messed up the other day. No, that's, that's respect, but that's not love. And the only way that we have those affection of genuine love for God in our heart, the truest test that we have been made his sons and daughters is when the Spirit himself comes to live within our hearts. So here's the question I want to ask you today. Where are you at? If you were to really just kind of sit back and objectively think, do you have a respect for God or do you have a love for God? Are the things that you do in your life, the good things that you try to do, are they out of an obligation so that God is not upset with you or are they out of love seeking to please him? The problem was the curse. The price was the cross of Jesus Christ in our place. And the promise is that he has done for us what we could never do for ourselves so that now we get to live in a new covenant relationship with him based on love. You see, I think for so many people, they miss that idea when we think about what it means to be saved, when we think about salvation. You see, salvation isn't getting a fresh start. It's getting a new heart. When you say, Jesus, I'm sorry, it's not just wipe the slate clean, start over, try harder. But when you truly, in repentance and faith, cry out to Jesus and he saves you from your sin, that spirit comes within you and gives you a new heart with new affection and genuine love for God. So if that's not where you're at today, We have people right now who would love to talk with you about how you can know that you have that new heart, that you are a son or a daughter of God. If you are under the weight of obligation of trying to keep a covenant that Jesus fulfilled, reach out. Let us us talk to you and have that conversation. But for right now, uh, before you do that, let me just take a second and pray with you. God, thank you for the time that you've given us today. I pray that you would use it to move our hearts toward Christ. God, that if we are living under the old covenant out of obligation, would you just give us eyes to see that so that we could come to trust you by faith and receive the gift of your spirit who brings us a new heart with a new love. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.